So that's how I see the gospel now. It's there to help you become a good person, to become the best person and individual you can be. I don't care so much about the nitty gritty facts. I mean, they're important, but I think there's something more important now. It's being a good person. So we are here with Alejandro, and Alejandro is a friend that I made in a Facebook group. It's called Latter-day Lobsters or Sorted Saints. So it's an LDS group, and the, the official purpose of the group is to see if there are similarities between what Jordan Peterson is talking about and if that has any relation or confluence with Latter-day Saint beliefs. That's the official purpose, but it's pretty open-ended. People can really bring up any subject they want. And we end up talking about a lot of different things. I like to talk about doubt and what I'm learning in my courses at BYU and other people post about Bitcoin or their projects or whatever. There's some wild stuff in there sometimes. We try to keep it somewhat oriented to LDS themes and Jordan Peterson. We, We go on tangents quite often. Right. Mostly faithful members, I think. There are a lot of anarchists in there, and there's definitely a few of me in there, too, that are not members anymore. Yeah, so that's how we met. Alejandro was really nice to me right from the get-go, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, I try to be nice to a lot of people. I don't pick on anyone <laughs> in that group. I don't have any enemies, let's say, or, or access to ground with anyone. So you also started a Latter-day Lobster podcast with another lobster. I think it was Anthony, right? What do you do in that podcast? So that's a good question. So we started the podcast right after Elder Holland's remarks during Education Week. We felt that it was kind of an important moment in LDS culture. And we, so Anthony himself, he he's going through kind of a bit of a faith crisis transition one of the things that I loved about Jordan Peterson is I think he helps some members kind of navigate those waters and so and avoid certain pitfalls. And so we both of us are Jordan Peterson fans and we, you know, we're good friends. And we, we thought, well, let's make a podcast. We'll talk about Elder Holland and other topics. And so we've we've done that. And really, I kind of just started it so that people in the group, in the lobster group can kind of get a sense of who people are in real life and kind of connect with them more. Sometimes I know debates can get heated online. And if you just see just some random Facebook profile, you might not treat someone with as much respect than if you actually took the time to hear them and, and listen to them. And so we're we're just trying to invite members from, from the group to share their ideas and thoughts so that everyone can kind of just get to know each other a little better. And it's worked out, I think, pretty well, especially in the pandemic, since we can't really meet in person very often. So that's like primarily what the, the podcast is about. I've had quite a few guests on. Primarily we talk about Jordan Peterson and his ideas and how that relates to our experiences as Latter-day Saints. And there's some good stuff. I definitely look us up on YouTube, Latter-day Lobsters, you'll find us. Cool. Yeah, I'll put it in the notes too. I I think that's awesome because I totally agree. I feel the the more you know people, they just have a different idea than me instead of like thinking they're totally evil or trolls or there's no way they really believe that. When you actually meet them, you can get their background, see where they're coming from, see a face. In person is probably even better. Seeing a video is way better than a avatar, for sure. Putting yourself you know, out there with your ideas is, I think, healthy for a lot of people. I really like doing these interviews and, and talking with people over Zoom. Yeah, that's, that's one of the ideas that Jordan Peterson's been talking about, that if you can't um, say something, then you can't think. And so being able to say what you actually think is important. And I've been playing with the idea that having friends that disagree with you, that you trust, and saying what you think when they disagree with you is important because then they can correct you. I think it's really important that we don't just cut people off that don't think like us because then we can't be corrected. I think you're absolutely right. We have a lot of thoughts and we don't really know how it might sound to someone else. And so you don't really know if your ideas are, are good or convincing or or how they make people feel. There's a lot of tone policing online, which I understand why, because some things come across as very rude and insensitive, but that's why you have to talk to people. Am I talking about this in a way that makes sense and in a way that people can relate to? And, and the more people you talk to, the likelihood that your ideas can be refined and be more convincing increases. And 
And then I think that's when you can really start bridging that gap between people who might disagree on a subject. Social media connects us, but then it also kind of separates us too. You told a story, I can't remember where it was, but I heard you tell a story about you using Jordan Peterson to help you write a talk at church. So I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that. I've been a faithful member my whole life. My parents were members. I was born into the church and I grew up in the church, served the mission, you know, and I was a typical average member. But then things changed for me when my dad passed away unexpectedly in 2016. I was devastated and depressed and I didn't know exactly what to do. And and I remember I was at a singles ward at the time and I would go to church and I was hoping to get some kind of comfort or you know, guidance at church. And, and for me, it was really kind of disappointing because the way that people would talk about the gospel wouldn't make sense to me. And I, I couldn't really follow what exactly they were getting at or saying. And and I, I was really upset because I was like, this is supposed to be the place you go to when tragedy happens. You're supposed to go to church and feel God's love and, and his support. But it wasn't making sense to me just the way people would talk about the gospel and, and the principles of the gospel. So at around this time, I had to postpone my college education. I had to figure out certain things like where my family's going to live and how we're going to make ends meet. While I wasn't in school, I remember I had heard about a professor in Canada who would put his lectures online. I found out that that was Jordan Peterson and, and he was making a buzz in the political sphere, but I didn't really care about politics at the time. I was just more into getting an education while I wasn't in college. So I began watching his videos because he would put his courses online and the way that he would talk about biblical stories was just really gripping and it made a lot of sense to me. And then also I felt like it connected with our, our beliefs as LDS or as Latter-day Saints. I started to really listen and kind of jot down notes. And so during my time at the singles ward, the week before I moved out, they asked me to give a talk. And I said, okay, I really want to try this with my ward and give a talk in kind of like a Peterson fashion. So I literally plagiarized him. I ripped off parts <laughs> of his talk from his biblical lectures. I quoted Maps of Meaning, his first book. The theme was a few verses from the Book of Mormon. So I had a real good opportunity to connect it to what we believe. Do you remember which scriptures you were assigned to talk on? So, yeah, it was third Nephi. I can't remember exactly which scripture it is, but Christ is talking to the Nephites. He says, come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, which is a line in the Bible, but also the fact that it's in the Book of Mormon, you have to then talk about the Book of Mormon. So let's put my ideas to the test or my hypothesis to the test that there's a connection here. I spent a week writing this talk. I pulled from a lot of sources that Jordan would mention up Fried, the, the famous literary critic. And I strung this talk together and I gave it in church and the reception was just incredible. People were texting me all week. That was a great talk. People were stopping me in the halls at church. I was like, wow, this is great. This is how people should talk about the gospel. I'm putting in the effort to really make a, a sacrament talk work. One of the things that I love about the Latter-day Saint tradition is we're commanded to, to seek out great books and to seek out anything that's good. And so as far as I can tell, anything is really on the table for us to take and to, to integrate into our, our belief system. I had a really positive reception. And then it was around this time that I started to join the Latter-day Lobster group. Morgan Aldous was the one who started it. And I shared my ideas with the group and posted things that I thought were meaningful. And, and the reception there was great too. I'm glad I could find a group of people that are open-minded and we're okay making these types of connections. It was a huge success. And I've just been doing that since I, I said, okay, you know, whatever I find out there that's interesting or that's true, or that makes sense to me, I'm going to, to at the very least borrow from it and see if I can make sense of our religion using the ideas that I learned about, whether that be in college uh, or on YouTube or in books, just take everything in and see if I can make it work. And not everything sticks, but my understanding of what it means to be a faithful Christian or a faithful Latter-day Saint has definitely been expanded and, and it helps me kind of see some of the value of some of our religious traditions here in the LDS church. Why do you think your talk resonated so well with people? What is missing at church? My husband was talking to my brother-in-law. This is a year before we even knew we were leaving the church. He was just like, why is it that I can't get interested in studying my scriptures? Why is it so boring? I could go learn about XYZ and that's where my interest is. Why can't my interest be in the gospel? I want to be interested in the gospel. 
Why aren't we actually going to church and getting excited and motivated in our lives to act out what we're learning? Yeah, that's a great question. I was going to a, a YSA ward at UVU and then at BYU. And I was thinking like, well, these are college educated people. They should be bringing college level ideas to the table. I think there's a few factors. Like one, I don't know how much time people have to think about these things. People are busy. They work jobs. And they're they're going to school, have a baby. Time is being used on important things. And so because of that, I think we rely on platitudes and just the same old cliches that we talk about at church. Things that don't make much sense or or we don't explain them enough so that they make sense. And so for for example, what I heard at church were things, Jesus Christ can heal you. And I'm like, I don't know what that means because I am wounded right now and I'm not finding this here. And so what does that mean? You can't give a seminary answer for that. You have to dive deeper. That's interesting. That that reminds me of faith crisis type stuff. When you're going in the middle of the faith crisis, the, the mantra is hang on, it'll get better. You'll know someday, even if it's not in this life, you'll know the next life. And that feels so empty when you're yeah. feeling like God is silent and you can't figure out the next step to take. And you're just feeling really lost and uncertain. You bring up a good point. I, I feel like if I tell people I had a faith crisis, they might not, they might say, I don't think you did because you weren't about to leave the church. If the church becomes meaningless to you, that's pretty close. Well, um, I would, if someone told you that, I would say that that might not be fair. I would encourage them to think about what it means when members tell them, oh, you didn't have a real testimony. Because to me, that's almost the mirror side. Like the mirror, yeah, good point. But, yeah. Okay, I, I guess I have to go, go a little deeper into this. In 2016, it wasn't just that my dad had passed away, although that was devastating and a big deal. I had been fired from my job. I had to drop out of school. I had a serious girlfriend at the time, and we had we broke up. The political system was doing weird things, and then Donald Trump got elected. So on different levels, starting from an individual to familial, interpersonal, communal, all the way up to the world stage, everything was sort of flipped upside down. And so it really made me question, why would God allow these terrible things to happen? Why didn't my relationship work out? I thought I felt the spirit what's the next step? I don't know. I feel like my prayers aren't being answered. And so <clears throat> it felt really chaotic. One of the things that I th had thought about when I was sort of in this space was if the gospel isn't making sense to me, it's probably not making sense to a lot of people. Because I'm not going to presume I'm smarter than anyone. It's probably not making sense to a lot of people. But if I can make sense of it, then it, I can help others make sense of it. And then not only that, but I can then seriously evaluate it. Once I once you make sense of something, then you can make a judgment call on it. So that's what I strive to do is just, and, and I think Jordan Peterson, he's a big part of my intellectual development, you could say. And he sort of gave me a framework and a vocabulary to talk about these things and in, in a way that I think connects with people. At least I, that's the goal. I hope it connects with people and, and it resonates with them. And, and they say, yeah, that's how I felt or that's what I experienced. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's cool. Obviously, there's probably different levels when you're having doubts. You've definitely gone through it. There's something else you probably go through a little extra when you go all the way down and the whole belief system collapses. I would hate for anyone to dismiss any kind of dark night of the soul that anybody experiences. It's really kind of stupid to try to compare and say, well, you haven't gone through what I've gone through. Obviously, it maps on. Maybe the gravity is a little different. I think we could all have empathy for each other as far as just knowing how hard sometimes can be in our lives and just not sure things aren't making sense. Whatever we thought reality was, and then we're getting data that's like, this isn't what I thought it was. I think that happens to everyone. Okay. What, what do you think the restoration has to offer people that are outside the church? We both agree. There's a lot of people out there like Jordan Peterson and, and John Verveke. We have a lot of people that we think are just really wise. What do you think the restoration has to offer people like that, that they already seem to be living the Christ-like life already? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and that's really hard to answer too, because there are certain gaps in people's experience. Jordan Peterson, for example, because he's my favorite, I hear him talk about God and I hear him talk about God in an evolutionary way and in a way that's sort of outside the box. And Jordan Peterson is aware that if he's not careful with what he says, he could he could marginalize Christians or he could say something that is very disagreeable to them, which is, I don't think this is exactly why, but I think that's one of the reasons why he says, well, I act as if God exists, but I don't know if I can say I believe in God. The LDS tradition in particular, 
is very open. It's very open-ended. I think Christians, and maybe I'm going to sound offensive to them, to people who are in the evangelical or Protestant boat, but I feel like their their system of belief is a little too narrow. There are these axioms and these assumptions about God and and what God is capable of or even what he is like that is kind of limiting and, and also creates problems. Really? So, I, I'm going to pause yeah, right there. Theirs is more narrow than the LDS faith? Yeah, I think it is. I really, really? believe like, like yeah. In what way, I would say the LDS, LDS faith defines God more narrow. As I was trying to figure out what I believed, all of a sudden the description of the Trinity made a lot more sense to me than the description of a God having a body of flesh and bones, for example. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden this idea that God can be everywhere and nowhere in this non-tangible yeah i mean i know there are some very specific definitions of the trinity so in what Um, way i guess do you feel that christians are more narrow than the lds faith i think the the biggest example is with scripture right for a lot of protestants they kind of believe in that sola scriptura doctrine where the bible is the only source of god's word and that's it. I find that extremely problematic because the Bible has such a complicated history and it's not super clear that that was the unadulterated word of God. Obviously, there's been additions and subtractions and redactions. And then not only that, but it's such a long and complicated text. Th- that idea of Sola Scriptura would imply that you can't go to an outside source to then understand the Bible. And to me, it's like, how else are you going to understand it? You have to draw on someone else's experience or commentary or or interpretation. For it to be so self-referential, it seems very limited. And not only that, it seems to me that it limits God too. Can God therefore then not speak to me or to people in the new world? So there's that aspect. And then another aspect is a lot of Christians would, would it's what they would call like the impassibility of God. And that means something like, God can't be moved. They describe him as a God without passion. God can't be moved by by any external event or anything like that. For me, that implies that God isn't moved by my suffering or by the suffering of others. I can see maybe how some Christians could, would square that. He sacrificed himself and the atonement covers all of that. It still doesn't make sense. And, and the Book of Mormon and, and the Pearl of Great Price, they talk about a God who weeps and who is moved by us and, and is there with us in the mess of it all pushing with us and and that to me sounds like a much more loving god and a much more compassionate understanding god so those are, those are just a few examples of how i think god kind of limit is limited in, in that tradition but now i have to say though to their defense if you take the mormon god to its logical conclusion then there's limitations on him too Right. right, just different ones. And in, in my personal opinion, the limitations the LDS Church's doctrine puts on God, I think, are they make more sense to me, and they it makes God seem like more, a more loving person, or more probable. Like, to yeah, them. interesting. All right, what's your view of the restoration? How, how do you think of the restoration? How has your belief in it changed over time? You were born in it. You said, do you feel like you've come to know it for yourself? Yeah. So before my mission, I would say I had a pretty traditional understanding of of the church and the restoration. When you read the missionary pamphlets and stuff, it's like there was this great apostasy. And now the church has restored priesthood power to the church. Or um, sorry, you know, God has restored priesthood power to to the church through Joseph Smith. And now we have that that authority. And so in my mind, it was kind of like a question about authority. It's like, okay, the church is true because we have, we're the only ones who can claim that we have the actual authority and the great apostasy essentially corrupted the previous authority, whatever. And then I went on a mission and the message of the restoration presented in that way didn't really click with people. It clicked with some people, but like people didn't care. They're like, oh, we don't care about the authority i'll get baptized whenever i want to i think people were more worried about connecting with god or or changing themselves because a lot of the people that we spoke to as as missionaries they had drinking problems or or they had an anger problem or some type of addiction or they felt lonely or something like that and they they came to us the missionaries to see if they can find something with us after my mission and, and what i went through with my dad and all this stuff the way that it changed for me was that the gospel is a way it's an ethic. It's a way to live your life. That's that's going to be. It's going to make life so meaningful that you can overcome tragedy and suffering and 
and the hard things in life. And you can confidently bear your cross and be a help to others and to serve them. And to like the Book of Mormon said, to mourn with those who mourn. One of the problems I have with, with maybe other Christian faiths, they kind of narrow the debate down to the facts. The Bible says this, and it says X, Y, and Z, therefore this. And if you agree with me, you're a good Christian. And if you don't, you're a bad Christian. And and I see basically the rest of the Christian world saying, you guys have all these beliefs that we disagree with. And then they always say, but you guys are so good. You guys are such great people. But you guys have the weirdest beliefs. Like, that's kind of the point, to be the best people. So that's how I see the gospel now. It's there to help you become a good person, to become the best person and individual you can be. I don't care so much about the nitty gritty facts. I mean, they're important, but I think there's something more important now. It's being a good person. Now, in the past two or three years, I've been listening to Jordan Peterson and listening to John Verveke. And another dimension of the gospel sort of opened up to me, and that's the LDS tradition, I think, can really give people a framework for having meaning in their life that the other traditions might not be able to. And then, of course, that having no religion at all doesn't quite offer. So, yeah, that's how my view of the church and the tradition has changed over time. I'm sure people will disagree with me, and that's fine. (laughs) That's kind of how I'm coming at it. That's fine. People can disagree. We can still be friends. That's the point. That's interesting. As far as it being able to offer anything to somebody, I think the magic of it happens when you really believe it. I was not believing it. But still going through the actions and I felt stuck. It wasn't working anymore because it, it seems so important that I was on board with the fact that Joseph Smith really had an angel come to him and find literal gold plates that he literally picked up out of the ground and carried with him for a while and translated from. And I lost my belief in that part of it. You are told over and over that that's such an important part. You start doubting the whole thing, even though I think for the most part, my belief in the church, functional belief was that my purpose was to return to live with Heavenly Father and that the way to do that was to become like Christ. And so ultimately I'm doing similar things. I'm trying to improve myself with incremental progress. My daily action hasn't changed a whole lot other than my worship is not going to church on Sundays, but I am trying to develop some of those traditions that I I can support. It was hard going to church and supporting something that I didn't agree with, right? I didn't think was right. So it's interesting because you feel like this could offer something to somebody else, but it's like, if they don't believe it, I don't see how it works, I guess. So. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, that that's a, that's a tough one. So the community of Christ is an offshoot of, of the LDS church and they're, they're a little bit more progressive, let's say, and a little bit more liberal about, what they expect of their members in the sense that it almost for them, it almost doesn't matter like what you believe. That's the orthodoxy part, but they do care about how you treat others. And that's the orthopraxy part. And so there's that ongoing debate. Does it matter? Do you have to believe hundred percent in the literalness of the gospel or the church claims in order to be a good Mormon? And people make great arguments for both. But I, I think from a psychological level, when your actions are in line with what you say, that's a big piece of having a, a stable and, and meaningful life. But then also your actions and beliefs to a certain extent have to match your environments. I think the church having a ward that you go to every Sunday helps you come in contact with people who are doing and saying the same things as you. And that, that adds a sense of stability to life in an, impo- in an important way. The example that Jordan Peterson gives is if you go to college, and, and and if everyone is sitting at their seat listening to the professor, everything is fine. But the moment that someone starts doing something else, playing video games in the class or or they start a table tennis competition in the middle of the lecture, then things start to feel really off. And that's, I think, a really good secular example. Isn't his example that a student turns around and starts looking backwards or something like that? Yeah, or like... Or like a something so simple Yeah, or, totally make you completely uneasy. Yeah. So I think going to a ward offers that, which which can be good. I mean, there's good and bad things to, to everything. It's hard. I, I have a lot of friends who have left the church and they say, my values haven't really changed. I still act the same way. I just don't go to church. And I, I don't know if I believe the whole Joseph Smith story and the, the Book of Mormon thing. It's like, okay, interesting. And then some people I know have said, yeah, not only do I not believe that, but I don't believe in the values. 
and I'm going to change my values. And then I see very interesting things happening huh. there. And and for them, it can go either way. Those are, as far as I can tell, those are truly uncharted waters for a lot of people yeah. to like radically change your values. There's definitely benefit of being within a group that agrees with you and kind of has the same belief and it matches their actions. I think that it's been a really nice crutch to get to know your neighbors. And it's not a very good crutch for people that are not LDS because you still don't know those neighbors very well. But just being able to know some of your neighbors is better than no neighbors because that's what it was for me in Colorado. So we had lots of people that lived on our street and I knew our next door neighbor okay. We weren't super good friends, but I knew her good enough that I had her number and I could probably ask her for some eggs or something if we were out, but we weren't doing things together. And I guess some people might argue that your relationships at church are superficial too. They're not really real, but it's certainly a good place to meet people to make those deeper friendships with because we have a group of friends in Colorado that we're still friends with. It's the same with my neighbors too. I live in a twin home and I don't know my the guy who owns the other side of the twin home because he doesn't go to church. But also there's an age difference there, you could say. And, yeah, and my other neighbors have, have something in common sometimes, but it's too bad that that thing in common can't be that you share a house. <laughs> yeah, a right, house. exactly. You share outside walls. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's a culture thing too, because in America, we're we're the individualistic country. and A little bit, huh? Yeah, we don't like getting into people's business. We don't like people getting into our business. I don't know. So there, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that that's part of it. You could say your relationships at church are kind of superficial. And it's like, well, yeah, how, how else are they going to be until you take the time to to deepen them. Like I said, there's positive and negatives to just about everything. That's true. And it's like all about finding a balance, right? Yeah. I think I, I can agree with that. To the best you can, uh, if you could articulate how spiritual witnesses have looked like to you, and if you could add in how, for example, you said you had a spiritual witness before that ended up not being right. How do you deal with that? And how do you know whether yeah. it's self-deception or if it's Right. Truly coming from God. Yeah, no, that's a that's a tough one. I had spiritual experiences growing up as a kid. I think it was right before I was going to get baptized. I was seven, maybe even six. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I was going to a Spanish branch. And I remember it was testimony meeting, and everyone was bearing their testimony. And I was, and I wanted to participate just because everyone else was. So I said to my parents, well, I want to go bear my testimony. And they said, okay. And so I went and I, bear, I bore my testimony the best I could as a six-year-old. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with emotion and and I cried and I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting to just say the typical, I know the church is true. My Heavenly Father loves me, blah, blah, blah. I had that rush of emotion and I didn't expect that. I was like, what is happening? My parents were like, we think you felt the spirit and that's a great experience that you had. And so I always kind of remembered that. <clears throat> and then when I was about eight or nine, I was then living in Utah I, I don't even, it wasn't a, a holiday or an occasion or anything. I just remember I saw this little necklace at the mall with a little heart. And I told my dad, I said, hey, we should buy this for mom. I think that'd be nice. And I didn't have money because I was eight or nine. And my dad said, oh, yeah, we can buy it for her. And so we bought it. And I think she, he gave me the box and I gave it to my mom. And my mom loved it. And, and then I remember feeling that same flood of emotion. I wasn't really expecting. I love my mom and, and, and forever i'll love her and but i again i wasn't expecting that intense of a of an experience so it left an impression on me for sure and 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 then when i was 16 ish i was worried about these experiences because i i began to think like well what if this is all just emotional and what if i'm just deceiving myself and talking myself into this and so i brought these concerns up to my seminary teacher and, and while I was doing that, again, like the same sort of flood of emotions came and I began to cry. And so those experiences sort of carried me, they pushed me forward. In my opinion, I didn't see it like a causal thing. I, I didn't intentionally try to trigger that in myself or something like that. And then on my mission, my mission was weird. I had a, I had a weird mission. I had a really abusive mission president. And that's another story for another time. But I began to really be skeptical about people's position and authority. Why would the church call this crazy guy to be a mission president? <clears throat> then after my mission, I started to date this girl that in many aspects was not good for me. There's a bazillion red flags that I chose to ignore. I think in that case, I intentionally was like, I'm, I'm feeling the spirit. It's going to be okay. I know these that there are these problems. 
but it doesn't matter because I felt the spirit. So it's going to be all okay. Because in the past, everything has been all okay. And then it blew up in my face and, and it wasn't okay. So now, how do I view spiritual experiences? It's, there's that part of you that that's an emotional part, intuitive part that can, can feel that something's right. And I don't think people should dismiss that outright. There's even a logical, psychological case for that. If you're in danger, maybe you shouldn't find out if you're in danger before leaving. You Maybe you should just listen to your gut and get out of there. That can be misused and mishandled and, and you can stick around in certain relationships or situations where you probably shouldn't be there and you're going to get hurt if you stay. One of the things that I think bugs me about the LDS tradition is that we put a heavy emphasis on spiritual witnesses and and the emotions associated with that, that we then suspend logic and reason. And kind of like how I had done with that girl. And and then because I because my rational brain wasn't on I, I w- was in this kind of terrible relationship. So I think there's a verse in the DNC where I think God tells Joseph Smith, I'm going to tell you in your heart and in your mind that these things are true. And I'm like, yeah, like you should be able to use your reason and logic to come to a conclusion. And I think that's okay. And I think sometimes you just feel it and, and you have to sometimes trust that and you have to balance those two. And in psychology, that's called having a wise mind where you where you have your emotional frame of mind and your super rational frame of mind and you you find a nice middle ground. So for me, it's like paying attention to the insights I have and to the aha moments and, and, and turning on my skeptical brain when I need to, but then also using my emotions to, to feel the situation out and to figure out what the next step is. And, and that for me has been a very helpful way to navigate my spiritual experiences because right the classic question is how do you know if it's if it's from you or if it's from god and it's like well maybe it's both (laughs) maybe you're having a an impression or something and if it checks out logically maybe you should do it maybe you're having an impression and it doesn't check out logically you should use your best judgment is i guess the best thing i can say you know well right sometimes you have two choices in front of you and you're having a hard time deciding i remember having lessons in church you don't get an answer just make your best judgment and then move forward and as you're taking those steps then you'll kind of figure out whether you're in the right place i actually don't disagree a whole lot i think the one issue that i maybe had as i was using uh, a spiritual witness or is because once you've found it out then it is not you can't return to it it's already been decided i feel like intuition is a really good action taking tool. It can help you know what what action to take. But I also feel that as you go through life, you're gathering more data. You're like, oh, I chose this job, but then I didn't know about this, this, and this after when I, when I took the job, maybe this isn't the right job for me or right. It would be wrong for someone to go, well, I had that feeling to take this job. So I know this is the right job to take. That's what I feel like I did with the church to some degree. I had not, I didn't even I didn't even have any big spiritual witnesses. I do feel like I had some aha moments. Sometimes we interpret onto the aha moment what it meant, and either we're wrong about it. There's still probably something true about that moment that those aha moments I've had over the years, even when I was going to church. I feel like those aha moments maybe were helped guiding me for that person that I was then. I think there are stages of development, you know, with with our relationship with God and, and how much we have to depend on him. And, you know, w- what's going to make sense to you when you're 14 is probably not going to make sense to you when you're 24, just because you have a frame of reference that is changing over time. And I think that's okay that that, 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 that way of looking at things changes over time. Something that's changed for me is I used to think in those terms, too. once you have a spiritual witness, that's the right course and that's set in stone, so to speak. And, and, go for it. Life is more complicated than that. People have agency. The thing that resonates with me is the gospel can alchemize your experience. And what I mean by that is sometimes you make a decision and it's good. And then sometimes that decision is good, but then it goes bad. Then God is able to take that and turn it into something better. And you can overcome things. In my family's experience, my dad passed away and that was just devastating, hard, tragic. And I wouldn't ever say that that happened because God wanted to make me a good person. Like that because that's ridiculous. And then in 2018, my sister became very severely mentally ill and she was hospitalized. I, I can't think of any good reason for why that would happen. But I do believe that God gives you the strength to 
at the very least confront that and, and to deal with that in a, in a positive way and or to, to, to get help somehow. So sometimes we'll make a decision we think it's the right decision and maybe it is and maybe it's wrong. Hopefully it's not fatal. You die or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't I can't speak for those instances. I don't Life know. Life can be very forgiving, basically. You can't yeah, make some wrong choices. Right, exactly. And so I don't think it's the end of the world. I missed that one opportunity because I didn't listen to this prompting and now my life's after something. God I is going to... decided to leave the church and so not no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I think God can, you know, give you a course correction and, and make the best out of a bad situation. I know that there's extremes where that's just not going to happen. This is reminding me of, I think it's an Alan Watts thing where you think that something is good and then that leads to something bad and you're like, oh, that's bad. But then it led to something good. Once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer who uh, lost a horse, ran away. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, that's too bad. And he said, maybe. The next day the horse came back and brought seven wild horses with it. And all the neighbors came around and said, why, that's great, isn't it? And he said, maybe. The next day, his son was attempting to tame one of these horses and was riding it and was thrown and broke his leg. And all the neighbors came around in the evening and said, well, that's too bad, isn't it? And the farmer said, maybe. And the next day, the conscription officers came around looking for people for the army. And they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, isn't that wonderful? And he said, maybe. <laughs> the whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity. And it is really impossible to tell whether anything that happens in it is good or bad. Because you never know what will be the consequences of a misfortune. Or you never know what will be the consequences of good fortune. No, that's cool. That's a good video. Yeah, so that's kind of reminding me it's bad things do happen. See, that to me, the idea of God, if, if I were to say I believe in a God or, or something, it's too simplified when you start trying to say, oh, see, he blessed me because I did the right thing, or I've been punished because I didn't do the right thing, or I didn't follow the spirit. I feel like the whole life process is a learning process. I think the biggest thing is we, we just need to keep paying attention and be awake. And I think that's more yeah. important probably than anything. In the Jordan Peterson group, we're very obsessed with meaning and meaning making. The question I had for you was, what in your life brings you meaning? Do you feel that you found the things that, that bring meaning to your life? I would say that it was not easy. I literally believed everything that the church taught me. And so it was hard untangling that. I was convinced that if the church wasn't true, then none of them were true. And if none of them were true, then life is meaningless. And just that whole nihilistic view that, well, even if I do anything and it ripples through humanity, if the sun explodes in billions and billions of years, then what does it matter? I listened to Jordan Peterson through a lot of my faith crisis, and that helped a lot. He has this moment where he's debating William Lane Craig, and he basically gives that uh, argument. If there's no God, then there's no meaning to life. And Jordan Peterson answered, and he's, he's like, well, we suffer. That's meaningful. You ask someone who's suffering, and there is meaning in life. So there's something. And then he also said, who listens to a symphony? And says, because it ends, there was no purpose to it. And so his point was just because you can take something and step far enough away from it that it doesn't seem to have a purpose doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't actually have a purpose. That makes a lot of sense to me. I kind of had an aha moment. I was trying to read, I think it was Tolstoy, because he kind of went through some nihilistic stuff too. And I was, was reading- it, um, Was it Confessions? Well, it was just it was just an excerpt. I basically was just googling Tolstoy nihilism or something like that, and some web page came up, and I can't remember what writing it was. I think it was a commentary on the writing, but I was reading it, and he was making all these arguments, kind of like William Lane Craig. Well, I don't believe in God, so therefore there's no purpose. But I remember where I was just like, well, wait a minute, I'm really dumb. 
who am I to try to say that life has no meaning? There's so much I don't understand. It's almost like a faith claim to say there is no meaning in life. You'd have to understand everything about life to be able to make that claim. And then I had this this idea of just because a dog is never going to be able to read, that doesn't mean the words don't exist. So just because I can't quite grasp onto why life might be meaningful, to me, it turned into like this faith claim nihilism. And so I wasn't as worried about it at that point. And then I, I became very comfortable saying, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. And yeah, that's cool. You just still have, you still have meaning moments. You do have intuition and it's driving you to become your best self and you're, you get these goals and you work on them and you figure out how to do them even better. There's obviously something driving me. I'm just along for the ride. I feel like life is kind of a miracle and I'm just, I'm okay with playing the game. Before it was trying to become like Christ. And I would say I am still trying to be Christ-like and I'm just trying to not in a overbearing, you have to be perfect kind of way, but just in a, that's what I feel like I should do. I should try to be better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And then when I set those goals and I make them, it feels really good. That's kind of where I've landed on that. And I see wisdom in a lot of ancient writings too. It seems like the people that wrote the Bible understood a lot of the things. I like something that you said there. If God doesn't exist and nothing matters, I like that example. If someone plays a symphony and it ends, it doesn't mean that it's meaningless. I think a big mistake that people make in the LDS tradition is then they say, well, if you have an internal perspective, then it'll all work out. And I think that that's actually nihilistic too, in my case, right? I was going to be in a relationship with someone who was probably not a good fit. But that doesn't matter because in the eternities, it'll work itself out. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be miserable for the next 40 years. And that matters. It really bugs me when people are like, well, you just have to have an eternal perspective. In eternity, it'll be okay. It's like that expanse of time like is also meaningless, just as meaningless as, well, things are going to end in a bazillion years when the earth is, when the sun explodes. So what does it matter? It's the flip side of that coin. And so, and it's a cliche that we use at church that like really bugs me. I like what you're saying. Things are relevant now and, and things are meaningful now. We don't have to resort to an afterlife or or living forever to find meaning in life. I think both people who are LDS or who are no longer LDS can, I think, find meaning that way to kind of shed those two extremes. Yeah, I can find benefit in that way of thinking. That's interesting that you say that because my husband made the exact same comment. He actually said that he was always living for that next goal. He's actually a really good goal setter. And because he's always aiming for the next goal, he was never enjoying now. And I think that's possible for any kind of person and any kind of belief system. I, I don't find the LDS church any worse at that. I think I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance of what you need at each time because I think there are times when life really, really sucks. And that's kind of where that eternal perspective is, I think, supposed to give us some peace because this won't last forever. And one thing that my husband was telling me, he's like, even when you're in those really high highs, it's important to remember that this isn't going to last in forever, but just enjoy it for now. That's one of the big things that I've learned in the last couple of years is just that balance. A lot of times we like to, we have a meaningful thing on one side of the balance that pulled us over. And so then we feel like that's the truth. And we don't realize that's just half of the equation. There's another half of the equation that we might need to pay attention to the other half of the time that will pull us back if we need to be. There's balancing wisdom, I guess. They seem to be paradoxes and they seem to contradict each other. I think when you're paying attention, you can find the thing that will help balance your life. Yeah, I, I know. I, I like where you're coming from. When I started to see a therapist, this was in 2020 during the pandemic. My therapist, he specifically specializes in what's called dialectical behavior therapy um, or DBT. And, and Not cognitive? Like, what's the difference between cognitive and... Yeah, so CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. What that does, is, for example, let's say you go to a therapist and you say... I'm a total failure. And so your therapist says, well, did you arrive here successfully? Well, yeah. Okay, so you're not a total failure. You're questioning your cognitions. You're trying to fix your yeah. cognitions. Right, and you kind of like sort it out using logic and questioning. Okay. Dialectical behavior therapy, on the other hand, what it does is it's really good for people who think in, in terms of black and white, which is why it's effective for people with borderline personality disorder, is it kind of takes like two extremes and it says, what's the middle path on these type, on, on these things? The Buddhists, for example, will say live in the moment and, and don't have any attachments because attachments bring suffering. And if you're attached to the future of the past, you're going to suffer, you know. Right. But the problem with that is 
The problem with that train of thought is then everything is sort of meaningless. You know, if your brother dies tomorrow, the ideal Buddhist would say, that's that. And yesterday he lived and I'm happy for him and that he's gone, but I'm not attached. And it's like, no, that's that's the wrong approach. You have to have that connection. And then the problem with with the Christian idea of eternal life and stuff is you're never living for today and you're always living for heaven. And that's problematic too. I think Jordan Peterson in his biblical lecture frames it right. And he says, no, you have to figure out a way to live right now and tomorrow and next week and five months from now and five years from now. And what's this going to happen? Yeah, exactly. I think about the LDS tradition and I'm like, yeah, I think they're closer to that ideal than than other Christian traditions because we believe in revelation and God answering our prayers now. And we do our family history for people back then. And we make these covenants for, for the future. And we, you know, and we, and every week we go to church to renew our covenants. I feel like it really bridges everything together very nicely. Hmm. I think people put too much emphasis on this eternal perspective, but forget about now. I think our truer reading of what our faith offers is a more expansive and integrated frame of reference because we worry about ourselves now and ourselves in the future. And we worry about our ancestors and everything is integrated in a way that I think is really nice. When we put too much emphasis on one thing, it, it it's in, it's not balanced anymore, like you were saying. Well, like that dialectical behavior therapy, it trains you to take two ideas and and synthesize them and put them together instead of having such a black and white perspective on things. And I think that's really important, especially with social media. Oh, yeah. You know, we tend to resort to black and white thinking because it's easy. Yeah. But, but I think it's, it comes natural, right? Like, yeah, I think a lot of times we blame the church for teaching us to think black and white. And I, I'm not sure I totally subscribe to that. I think the black and white thinking is probably like a human nature. It's it's not unique to the church, I guess, or people in the church. Yeah, for sure. That, and that's and, a good and point. And you see too. people that have broke out of it that are in the church, and you see people that are black and white that have left the church. So I, I think the second question I had was, what got you into building bridges between the LDS community and the former LDS community? It started on really early. Different things have motivated me to do it more and more. I think the first thing I remember, I was really new on Reddit, really fresh. And I remember trying to make a post. I made a post in the ex-Mormon Reddit and in the LDS subreddit. And it was something like, we need to build bridges, yada, yada. And it was just funny because it wasn't well received by anybody. I honestly had this idea when I was fresh that because ex-Mormons know what it's like to be faithful that it with the onus is on us to build bridges we're the ones that need to be patient and i still think that's true to a certain degree i feel like there's probably a lot more pain on the person that has had a total collapse of belief there's just so much chaos and it's disorienting and so it doesn't surprise me that it's so hard to expect someone that has just lost i i would say the tragedy is as bad as losing a loved one and so to expect that person to be the bigger person in some kind of dispute is kind of low as well so i i can see both sides of it i I was always looking for content that was kind of bridge building type stuff and i never could find it and i did find this youtube channel called the restoration table it just popped up in my youtube feed and a guy named Tony Fieldson started it. And he basically summarized the last conference and said, this is kind of the stuff that's bothering people. And this is why. And this is, and, but he was still kind of faithful. He was talking about it from the faithful perspective. And then he's like, I have this Facebook group and anybody's welcome, even if you're not a member anymore. And I was like, really? There's a faithful community that is okay talking to people like me. And I went and I joined it. And it's actually not even that active. Through some Zoom calls and through some different interactions, I met actual people there. And through Latter-day Lobsters, I met some of you guys. And so as I was interacting with faithful members, it was really healing. There's a lot of comparing my best with your worst. There's a lot of that going on across any divide. I said this in my first podcast, Brene Brown has this quote, people are hard to hate close up. And I just feel like we need to stay close to each other and just realize what we have in common more. There's a lot of people I really, really respect that have a lot of those attributes. They have a lot of wisdom. They have really great character and they're across the religion divide. 
we should all be helping each other be better people. We all kind of know those kind of characteristics, being patient and kind and, and generous and giving people the benefit of the doubt. It seems like we all kind of know the attributes that make someone that has good character. So if we can agree on that, then maybe we should be helping each other have that and then helping each other be wise. I think that there are really cool people everywhere. And I've met some really amazing friends too on this side of things too. And, and it is hard. It, 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 I'll be honest, it's hard to always be around faithful people because there's just some things you can't say all the time because you feel like you'll be offensive and you don't want to offend. You want to be respectful. And so it is kind of nice to also have some friends where you can just say everything you're thinking. And it doesn't even necessarily be in an, it wouldn't even be necessarily disrespectful to all kinds of people that are in the LDS faith, but there are certainly some. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. no. So. So I know that Tony's in the Latter-day Lobster group as well. Mm -hmm. I think he's the admin and you're an admin there too. Yeah, they invited me after I had made some posts that they could tell that I was I was in the game. I like the bridge building <laughs> thing. <Cool. laughs> I, I'm in that group too. And it's really cool. That's one of the things I love about the, the Latter-day Lobsters and, and Jordan Peterson is, you know, beca because he's not tied down to a Christian sect, he's kind of free to go anywhere with his ideas. He's not tied down. One of the things that I learned at BYU recently is that I think it was Elder Maxwell. I think it was him. He said, you know, to to faculty at BYU, he said, you know, we have to be bilingual. And what he meant by that was like, we have to be able to talk in terms of scientific inquiry, rational, naturalistic point of view. And we also have to be able to talk in faithful ways and, and kind of bridge those gaps. And I see Jordan Peterson doing exactly that in a sophisticated way, not in a complicated yeah. way, John Verveke too, but in a very skilled way. I want to be able to do that for people as well, bridge that gap. Can I talk about the gospel in a way that's going to make sense to a person who has left the church or who is scientifically minded or atheistic? I think the mission of BYU, I don't think they're perfect at it, but I think that's what they're aiming at is trying to, in a certain way, bridge a, this type of gap. That's what I really like about the restoration table, you know, and kind of what you're doing. I think that's why we're good friends. Being able to to kind of step back from that black and white thinking and take the time to understand each other, I think is helpful. Thank you for thank you for your work. <laughs> yeah. That's all the time we have. Yeah. So thanks, Alejandro, for coming on. And hopefully people can see how you can have a civil conversation. I wish we would have gotten into some of the stuff we disagree on, maybe another time or maybe it's yeah. worth just seeing because we did a little bit but there's stuff we disagree with and we could have talked about it and i and it wouldn't have affected our friendship i don't think i hope people realize that they can have good meaningful relationships across a pretty big disagreement so anyways and here's an example of that thank you for yeah no us. thanks for inviting me uh, it's been really fun and and you know we've talked before and it's always been a blast so i'm glad we can we can do this. And if you want to do that, that discussion, let's plan it. We'll make it work. Okay. Sounds good.